You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that there is nose hair in your brain nerve cells. No, seriously. Well, sort of anyway. And uh, nerve cells in your brain make elaborate connections and exchange these very quick messages with each other. But those cells also have simpler hair-like protrusions called cilia. And scientists who are looking at the brain overlooked what those little things actually do until now. They're figuring out that nerve cell cilia have roles in a variety of your brain functions. And in the part of your brain linked to appetite, they help to prevent obesity. So these little tiny little things like nose hairs, but smaller on your nerve cells also contribute to brain development, how your nerves communicate with each other, and possibly even learning and memory. So when someone tells you, oh, your brain can't do that, that's not possible. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. We still don't know how the subcellular mechanisms in the brain work. We're discovering new things every single day about what's happening at the lowest levels of our hardware, and we still don't have it all figured out. We think we get mitochondria, but there's probably some quantum stuff going on in there we still don't quite understand all the way. So, so we're in an era of just epic discovery, and the fact that your cilia do something, and they probably called them junk cilia five years ago, should tell you something. Nothing's impossible until we figure out exactly how it works in a model that's 100% mapping reality. And we simply are nowhere near having that for the brain, but we know more than we ever have before, which makes us like the coolest time ever to be alive. Um, that study came from Nature Genetics, uh, by the way, if you're like a super geek and you want to go Google it. Before we get into today's interview, everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. If you have not had a chance to try the new mint chocolate chip and chocolate chip cookie dough bulletproof collagen bars, I just have to tell you, these are epic achievements on par with like building Versailles. I, I may, Maybe even more than that. Okay, maybe not. But these are the most amazing bars ever. And I'm having a problem right now because I'm like, it's, you know, it's time for me to have like a real meal, but I just want to eat these for dessert and then I'm too full for the meal. So if you have not had a chance to try them, go to bulletproof.com. You will have an epic experience. All of our bars are awesome. The chocolate fudge and the vanilla cookie and, and lemon cookie. These new ones, like <laughs> they're just another level up that I didn't even think was possible. So you got to try those. Mint chocolate chip, chocolate chip cookie dough at bulletproof.com. Today's interview is going to be a lot of fun because we're talking with an entrepreneur who's become the chief creative officer of her company called Bandu. And this is a company that makes lifestyle apparel, accessories, and things like that. And it's not that. That's not why we're, we're doing the interview. It's because this is also someone who's very vocal on Instagram about, uh, about mental health and just open about what it's like to be an entrepreneur to grow something from basically the, the bedroom into a multimillion dollar company and the struggles that come along with it and just being very willing to talk about that. And her name is Jen Gotch. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you. You have a fascinating story in that you started your company with a friend in 2008. You had no business experience whatsoever. Oh. You're like a photographer, <laughs> like creative kind of person, right? Yeah. And now you've got this huge online presence and you're in specialty stores in 50 countries and things like that. <laughs> okay. What happened to turn you from being like, you know, kind of bouncy creative person into into hard-nosed entrepreneur woman. <laughs> well, I will say I'm still a bouncy creative person. <laughs> Obviously. Supported um, very thoughtfully by a bunch of hard-nosed business people. But honestly, you know, I every day was a learning experience even before we were really calling ourselves a business. And I pride myself on being an experiential learner. So it's like I've been in some form of business school for the last 10 years, uh, specifically 
the last six since we sold our company. And I was actually introduced to what a real business looks like, (laughs) which was much different than what we were doing prior to that. But, you know, prior to that, we were actually laying the groundwork for our brand. And that in the end is really what we're known for. And we make a lot of great products and we sell a lot of other people's great products. But I think the main connector for people is our brand voice and our brand aesthetic. And we were sort of unknowingly doing that which as it turns out is the harder thing to do. So we so we did the hard thing and then another hard thing but I think it's just a, a little bit more like lightning in a bottle, you know, for for the brand voice but the business part when someone came in with that structure it really empowered our ideas. This is something that I think a lot of people miss. They don't teach this in business school mm. and they don't really talk about it in most places but the typical entrepreneur, and there's tons of entrepreneurs who listen to the show and tons of people who work for entrepreneurs who listen to the show. In fact, that's the majority of people. Either you're in an entrepreneurial company Uh. or you are one. It's that building a brand is is one thing and running a company is another thing. And they they overlap by like 20%, which is- Yeah, yeah. On some days, maybe a little bit more, but yes. Some days more, right? And Bulletproof obviously has has managed to do both of those things. So you actually got to the point though where you're, you're like, okay- I believe in this so much that you put your house on the line for it. What happened there? Well, outside of the part that I'm horrible with money, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, I essentially gave up working. So when we first started the company, as many people do with startups, they keep their job. So I was still working as a photographer and stylist. And then around year two, you know, it was obviously again, startup mentality, you just never want to stop. Like you're, you're just like working for as long as you can keep your eyes open. And so it didn't really feel okay for me to go out and go to work, which was not a great decision, but it also meant no income because we really weren't taking a salary at that point because we really weren't making that much money, but still strangely so tied to the idea that Um, you know, I found myself in many situations like that, where I was making these huge sacrifices for Bando and not even, it not even flinching really. So, I mean, essentially it just ran out of money. (laughs) I went from having a, a really great paying job to doing something that I loved, but not making any money. So that was that. (laughs) This is a common problem for startups. Like I'm doing something really cool and I'm totally losing money. And you probably quit your job too soon. Oh yeah. Uh, It sounds like. (laughs) It could have been avoided on several levels, but still. (laughs) How does all this link to your, your vocal interest in mental health and happiness and all that. Like you, you followed your passion yeah. and you lost your yeah. house and like this went bankrupt. Like, okay, how did that work out for you? It's working out pretty well now, actually. <laughs> I mean, I don't have another house cause I have PTSD, but you know, I, I, I think as someone who struggled with really what they were going to do when they grow up, I was pre-law in college after taking the LSAT decided I don't actually want to be a lawyer and then went through a string of probably 20 different creative jobs. Um, and, and, and I definitely found a passion with design and photography, but, but with Bando and creating this brand, like it just locked me in. And, and then, you know, the mental health struggle has been a piece for me. I mean, I can remember having like a bipolar episode when I was seven, that's been a through line in my life. And it, really wasn't until recently actually um, sort of going through a divorce and then going back to living alone after 12 years, I really was able to pay attention to what was going on in my own mind. And I could focus all my energy on working on that. And, you know, I just realized that I, I wanted to put some context to this, like, ultra happy, optimistic company that I've created, and say that, like, that's an aspiration. But the reality is, we sort of live on all ends of the spectrum all of the time. And so I wanted to kind of build context for that so people could didn't feel alienated if they were like, I can't feel happy today. So for you, it was kind of an act of service to just sort of share what's going on inside your yeah. head. <laughs> this is also something that they don't talk about in entrepreneurship. <laughs> no. And when you see like the flag waving, be an entrepreneur, work really hard. Uh, it, it's that a huge number of entrepreneurs are ADE. Yeah. Me too. Uh, not all of Me them. Too. Yeah. And a huge number of entrepreneurs are anxious. They have anxiety. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it happens. I used to. 
when you look at what's going on, a lot of times it's that you're succeeding as an entrepreneur because you're running away from failure or something that like you're subtly afraid of. Was that something you were doing? You're like, like, I have to be an entrepreneur or was it just like, I'm so passionate about the sparkly thing. I just want to go do yeah. it. Like sometimes it's, it's run for your passion. For a lot of people, it's run away from something scary yeah. uh, or, you know, avoid something. Yeah. Tell me about what's going on with you when you started this. I, I was definitely running towards something. Um, okay. and, and then I actually attribute a lot of my anxiety to what helped propel the business because, you know, that was what made me double, triple check things that made me make sure there wasn't anything more I could do to make something better. And even now as we've grown and there's about 40 employees in our, in our LA office, um, if I see someone not getting anxious, I'm like, you, I'm glad that you don't have an anxiety disorder, but can you try and plug into like a low level of worry? Because like, that's what our business is built on. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like a group anxiety. So yeah, I I think it was all positive. I am definitely avoidant when it comes to certain specific things, but I'm not necessarily a run from problems type person, but I would definitely run towards something positive. So, So you're a worrier. Right. I'm a chronic worrier. Yeah. Now, I, I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs over the years, including with neurofeedback and things. And it's very common for uh, either young entrepreneurs or just first time entrepreneurs to get to, let's say, a million dollars in revenue. And now, if you're listening to this, you're not an entrepreneur, you're like, that's so much yeah. money. But here's the deal you're probably making like seven cents yeah. if you're doing a million dollars in revenue because you have to keep paying all yes. these attorneys and, and warehouses and God yeah. knows what, yeah. right? That happened to you, it sounds yes. like. Okay. So so you're like, on one hand, look at this, like I'm finally succeeding, but then the worry and the double and triple checking translates to micromanaging and then you stop growing. Yeah. Did that happen to you? No. Um, you just kept growing. Kept okay, going. Go. Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, once we once we sold the business, the the group of us that's working to grow it is just like we really complement each other. And so when one, you know, when one side feels a little low, the other side feels really strong and we're really good at compromise. And so it's really just been a growth trajectory. It hasn't been a skyrocket, which sometimes when I see that happen with other companies, I get really jealous, but it's been like this very steady, sustainable growth that has like a very solid foundation, which is not like a lot of modern companies don't grow that way. So no, it doesn't feel like what you described. I mean, the part where I had to learn the difference between your sales numbers and what you're actually netting at the end was <laughs> was intriguing. <laughs> um, but now I understand that. And so, you know, numbers are numbers, but you have a, a really cool uh, just Instagram presence. It's it's very happy, but you're extremely honest, which is why I wanted you on the yeah. show because you're like like you you posted this this picture of a file called divorce. Yeah, <laughs> and you just kind of aired your laundry there. Yeah, what was driving the decision to talk about something? Most of the time, people are getting divorced. Like they'll post on Facebook for their friends. I know. But it's kind of like kind of like a dirty secret. Yeah. But like congratulations <laughs> on getting divorced. I I offer congratulations <laughs> to everyone who gets divorced. Like it wasn't working. Do something different. Yeah. I, like amazing. Yeah. But what what made you like? Given that you know you're dealing with a brand, it's around happiness, yeah. and you're talking about things that aren't happy. Yeah. Why do you do yeah. that? Well, again, like I was saying, you know, generally, and divorce isn't isn't the only um, somewhat unhappy thing that I'm known to talk about. But it's reality. And like I said earlier. The it's hard for a brand to be realistic. Brands are usually aspirational, especially the type of brand that we have, because we're, you know, we're a women's lifestyle company based on fun. But I'm a person that has all of those things, but then also I have a lot of pain and I and I have a real life and with responsibility and bad things happen and good things happen. And, you know, I think it was a few years ago, I really just started to feel for lack of a better word, grossed out by what I was seeing just with people's presence. Like I, I have a lot of friends who have huge Instagram presences that are either bloggers or content creators. And like, I would see their feed, which was beautiful. Um, and then I would know their life and there was such a huge discrepancy. And I felt like my, one of my strengths has always been to just say what I'm, feeling, you know, to, to not feel like people are always like, you're so brave for sharing that. I'm like, Oh, I didn't actually give it a second thought. Like that's just, it, it, it's usually has not served me well in relationships, but in the, on this particular platform, 
it's been very positive. And so, so I've shared lots about my divorce because I've been going through the process for, you know, a year and a half, two years. And I've shared about my mental health and struggles at work and how hard it is to grow a company. And the feedback I get is so overwhelmed. It's like 99% positive that it's like it, at this point, it just feels like a responsibility more than anything else. 85% of Vendo's customers are between 18 and 35. Yeah. And for marketing people listening, it's like, oh my God, like that's the <laughs> best know. demographic ever. And you've got like more than half a million uh, followers, yeah. uh, which is which is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. That's on Instagram. Yeah. Do you think that this kind of radical honesty is extra attractive to uh, to younger people? For sure, because they're dealing with it too, yeah. or or like what? Why are they attractive? Well, I think they. I think more than just honesty, they love authenticity, and um, it's interesting because I'm 46, so I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen Xer. Um, but I trend, there's a lot of things about me. I took a test and I was like 99% millennial. <laughs> and I was like, that's so weird. <laughs> but so I think I just, I think informing the brand, which I was like basing on a lot of my own like likes and dislikes, we created something that was really authentic. Now, don't get me wrong. If you go on Bando's Instagram versus mine, the content is different, you know, because again, I'm trying to give people a lens to look through this like really cheery world to be like, okay, we get it. <laughs> That's something else. But we do try and be, you know, I've always said, I really value connection over transaction. That's why I wasn't making any money before the business people came along. Because I was like, it's okay if you don't buy anything. I just want to like feel like we're connecting. And so now I feel like we've found a way to to do both, but really prioritize that. And if you want to connect with someone, um, you have to be real and you have to be honest or else like that's a false connection. I have kind of the same dynamic. You know, I, I have Dave.Asprey on Instagram and it's, I post kind of different stuff there. Yeah. And you know, my Facebook page is different than the Bulletproof page. You know, there, there's people who some follow both, some follow just like the entrepreneur's story side yeah. of thing, uh, side of things. Uh, do you think this is something that's more attractive to younger people? Because they, like they want the behind the scenes, sort of the reality TV version of this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that whole tr transparency, like <laughs> I feel like they just crave information, you know, like even working in a, you know, our workplace is like, I don't know, probably 90% millennial. Um, and they just want to know, like, they just want to know, like they want all sorts of information they want to be communicated with. And so, yeah, I think, you know, the other thing, just like founder led businesses are really popular now too. And I think it's, it's a great way for us to help humanize something that really hasn't been humanized in the past, you know, you knew businesses for businesses and maybe if it was a fashion brand that you knew the the designer, but now we know lots of people that started and are running companies. And so I think it's just also just like a modern business trend. I think there's also something where I, I look at the incredibly stupid marketing of my childhood. <laughs> I'm, I'm in my mid forties as well. Yeah. And like, we always knew that brands would like say dumb things. They have like little jingles and dancers on TV. Yeah. And it was like so lame. <laughs> and, but since then, companies have become really good at manipulating you and right. like, like using PR and, and all these things. And that means that, you know, if you're under 35, you grew up in a different world where you're used to, to, to people trying to, or not even people, companies yeah. trying to manipulate you. Yeah. And so you're like, I want to know what's going on behind the scenes because we all have a quest to understand reality. The, the way it actually is. And what you're doing is you're saying, well, here's, you know, here's my company and here's the reality of me and the fact that I can create this thing that's around happiness and, and whimsy. And I feel those some of the time, but other times, like, I just feel like crap. Yeah. I, I think it's educational for people who yeah. are looking for a dose of, of not a negative reality, but just an actual reality. We're like, Hey, we're not all happy all the time. And if you only follow those happy Instagrams, you'll be like, why am I such a bad person? Cause I'm not happy all the time. And, and you're like, Hey, I'm not yeah. happy all the time either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think the thing is, is being clear about like actual reality and what, because in between when we were growing up and experiencing that and now there was like reality television. And then at some point you found out like that's semi-scripted and produced and edited. <laughs> and what we thought was real wasn't real. And it was like the same thing with Instagram when you're like, yeah, I'm in people's lives. And then you found out like, 
they have this whole other life. And so I, I think now there's an opportunity to be like, well, here's what's actually happening. It's a little bit harder to watch <laughs> and it's could be very triggering for some people, but you know, if you want to see actual reality, which that's, I think the biggest challenge for business. And the question I get asked a lot is like, do you feel like what you're doing is negatively affecting your business? Because like, I'm basically come, come out as like someone who has bipolar disorder, anxiety, ADD. I talk about divorce. I curse. I do weird dancing, you know? And I mean, for me, I'm like, I don't think so. If they've gone, they've gone quietly and I'm not going to stop. But, you know, I think it's like, it's going to be interesting to see how how everyone handles that. Because I do think the craving for like actual honest reality isn't going to go away. We've gone through this big shift over the past. It's, it's only been about 15 years. But uh, when I started my career in Silicon Valley, no one who had a mental health issue. And by the way, there's a lot of people on antidepressants yeah. and Adderall <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but no one would talk about no. it. And it was, or even meditation was like, sort of like, oh my God, you're one of those wacky people. <laughs> yeah. Like, why aren't you wearing tie dye with your sport coat? Yeah. Um, and I, I used to put like meditation yoga and like smart drugs, my LinkedIn profile, just to tell people, hey, I'm weird, yeah. but I'm, in, you know, I'm a cloud computing guy who cares. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a time when John Chambers, the, the CEO of Cisco mm. Systems, which was, you know, one of those, I don't know, $40 billion companies. Right. I'm making that up. Right. It's, 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 it's a ginormous yeah. networking company. Uh, and I used to be in that business. He was at some sort of, you know, corporate feel good event. And a, a teenager of some sort came up and just completely made, made some kind of big mistake. And this presentation was just like beside herself. And he stood up and just like couldn't, John Chambers, the CEO, just couldn't stand uh, seeing that. And, and he goes, hey, he goes, I, I guess I should tell you, like, like you know, I've, I've had problems with reading my whole life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I have ADD. And, and he basically just unloaded it. And the whole press was like, oh my God, like <laughs> this guy's, you know, chairman of a multi, like, yeah. like, is he fit? And, and there was this big thing. And, and he kind of helped to start this trend of like, you know what? Like some of the world's most successful people have very odd brains. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you were to look at like Elon Musk's brain, yeah. it's probably not normal. And <laughs> no. I, in fact, I would argue normal is average yeah. and we don't want that. Yeah. And you have an, you have an abnormal brain. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But that's not a bad thing, yeah. but it, it comes with ups and downs, yeah. right? So you've, you know, you've continued on that trend of just talking about it, but you talk about something called the long haulers. Yeah. <laughs> What's a long hauler a long, and why does that matter to you? A long hauler is actually, I don't know if you'll find this that relevant, but I spend a lot of my time on Instagram stories because I've found that that's actually the easiest way to really connect with, with an audience because you don't have to find a picture that's going to draw people in and and write a caption that's going to appeal to them. Like you can actually just go. And oftentimes I will go for so many, for so long that the dots are so tiny on the Instagram story and you can just like see people dropping off. Cause I like to watch the numbers. And so the long haulers are the people that like are just in it to win it. And we'll just stick with the whole story. And they're like the hyper committed people. So I also have something called ignored. I have a series of, of videos called ignored where <laughs> They're not staged, even though I had to stage one the other day because I wasn't recording in time. It's just watching people ignoring me at work, or in life. Um, so it, it's sort of two ends of the spectrum. <laughs> one that makes me feel really good and one that's very grounding. So, And you just you share all this. And what do you think the attraction is for people? I mean, they, they're going to do something with their day. And they're like, you know, I, I'm going to log in and I'm going to watch Jen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, what does it do for someone who watches it? I think it's relatable. I really think at the at its core, it's relatable. The amount of people that are like, you are me. For me, it's been interesting because I've always felt like I was special <laughs> and these things were only happening to me. And then I'll put something up and then it's just like a massive thousands and thousands of people being like, that's me. That's me. And so I think really at the end, I think it's like a combination of like, it's entertaining. Also, people are addicted to their phones. So they'll, you know, they'll watch a lot of different things on there. And it's also just like, they feel like they can see themselves in me and I may be at a place that they would aspire to be. And so it's motivating. And, and that you're still ignored. Yeah, and that I am still ignored on a very regular basis, daily, in fact. <laughs> it it's kind of funny. I, I work with lots of like health entrepreneurs who are working to build their brands and I, I'm 
so many people just need that stuff. I'm, I'm really happy to, to, to be able to help when I can. And a lot of people are dealing with, with critics, you know, these online yeah. trolls, you know, that, that can't happen. Therefore it didn't even like actually it did. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just some, some of the online haters, the 4% of people with, you know, either sociopath tendencies <laughs> or psychopathic tendencies who are allowed to post still. So crazy. And it, you, you must deal with those as well. Yeah. But the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is that what I learned over the course of, you know, having some of those people, you know, come after uh, my work and I'm like, I think my work stands for itself, whatever. Yeah. But to get to that mindset, you, you go through saying, oh my God, what are people thinking about me? Yeah. But in, in reality, and this is something I shared with my 10 year old the other day, she was just worried that you know, there was some meeting at school and that somehow it had something to do with her. And she was really wigging out about it. And I'm like, look, most people spend most of their time thinking about themselves, yeah. not thinking about you. Yeah. So in our head, we're like, everyone's thinking about me. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that no one's thinking about you because they're all worried about whether everyone's ignoring them. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's some of the attraction of, of why when you post that, you're like, hey, people ignore me, they ignore everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, like, I'm just very self-deprecating. So my motivation for posting wasn't to, like, resonate with people. But I do think that's why I think I think people do, people are like even though a lot of people are like if i was there i wouldn't ignore you and i'm like you you absolutely would you know i mean it just it just <laughs> is a thing that people do but yeah i mean everyone feels ignored at some, at one point or another whether it's every day i mean i'm just annoying you know like sometimes my energy <laughs> level is not what people want it to be so that i think they're just in self reservation mode <laughs> but yeah i think i mean and also just like as far as what you were saying about online trolls and i i'm i'm actually quite lucky i i feel like i'm hopefully because what i'm putting out is positive and true i don't get a lot but i definitely get some and i and I kind of try and approach it with sympathy because I feel like what could be going wrong in your life that you want to attack me? Like, that's just crazy. I'm not even doing anything controversial. Like, I'm just being silly. And and normally those are the people that I like reach out to because I'm just like, are you okay? Like, this seems serious. <laughs> <laughs> and then almost always one message in, they're telling me what's going on with them. Like it, it really wasn't about me. It was about them. And so I do think it's good that you're teaching, you know, your 10 year old that it's, I wish I would have known that I'm still undoing a lot of, uh, damage from the things that implanted it in my mind when I was 10. My, my experience with neurofeedback is that almost all of our insecurities were implanted when we were kids yeah. and, and they weren't consciously implanted. No. no one did anything bad. Yeah. It was just like your body's trying to figure out how to stay alive in the world and being ignored might be bad. Yeah. So therefore like, let's be afraid yeah. of it. And, and it, it, but that's how you show up in a, in a board meeting or that's how you show up online, yeah. but you don't know that's how you show yeah. up. You talk about self-care and, and how important it is as, as an entrepreneur, just as a human being, but honestly, what is self-care? Well, you know, um, especially if you're a woman right now, there's a huge trend towards self-care. A lot of what, you know, surface level that's being promoted has more to do with like, have a spa night or do a face mask, take a bath, which I think is very important. But for me, it's whatever it is that you need to be okay in that moment. So sometimes it's taking a nap. Sometimes it's eating a cheeseburger. Sorry, but sometimes it is. <laughs> and sometimes it, it it's asking for help. It's going to a doctor. It's stopping work. It's like, having better boundaries, having a work-life balance, getting a massage, going to acupuncture. Like it, like for me, it's not just like, here's, here are the five things that mean self-care. Like, I think it's like being aware that what you need from moment to moment can be different, but paying attention to that and like letting yourself know that that's okay. Like you deserve that to, to be okay, whatever that means. And I think like, that's, that was a hard thing for me to figure out. I was very resistant to help from others and help from myself. And then I kind of realized like, I mean, it's almost self-preservation more than self-care. And like, if I want to, there's things I want to do, <laughs> there's things I want to do. So I have to be okay in order to do them. What made you resistant to receiving help? from others? I, you know what? I, um, I probably should go back to therapy to figure that out. I don't know. You know, I, maybe if I was going to guess, I received a lot of help growing up. My parents were I would say I was spoiled and they supported me financially 
late into my 20s. And then I think at one at some point that helped, not in a malicious way, but was sort of like used against me, like help equals control. I kind of had this, I was in therapy for about on and off for about 20 years. And I, and I became very independent during that time and very self-sufficient. And I liked how I prefer that as told by my divorce, it can be very alienating for people, (laughs) but not needing any, like thinking, I mean, that's also just like a narrative that's crazy. Everybody needs help, but like feeling like I could do it all made me feel very safe. And then I kind of like broke down and then realized like you, you gotta, you're going to have to find a middle ground. (laughs) Uh, So that's where I am now. (laughs) It's funny. That was a message I had really strong. I'm like, I just believed that no one wants to help you. Yeah. Like no one's going to help yeah. you. Like you have to do it alone. Yeah. I just remember this sense of, of incredible wonder when I was like, sometime in my mid twenties, like I finally, for some reason or another, actually I worked with a, a really helping boss mm. who didn't have any, like any Alterior reason motive. to help yeah. me the way he yeah. was. Uh, and he was just like, I, I'm, I like to help. And I, this dawning realization just over a few months, I'm like, wait a minute, people help you because it makes them feel good. Yes. And, and like, no one had ever taught me that. And and like, I like to help people because it makes me feel good. Me too. Right. Yeah. And I think we're all wired this way as people, but we also have this, this fear that if someone helps me, I'll owe them something. Yeah. 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 Right? Was, was that something that you were worried about when you're starting your company and, and all this? Like, oh, you know, if, if, you know, if I ask for help, like, like I'm going to be beholden to someone? You know, um, I think when it was like contractual help, I was where, where I actually was beholden to someone that worried me. When when Bando was starting, we really got in with a great group of other entrepreneurs and it was very like Oregon Trail-esque, like everyone sort of helped each other. And there was the only thing that you knew you were indebted to them was if they called on you for help, you know, a favor that you would do that too. So I think I have what you're saying, but I don't think it's at the surface. Like my first thing with getting help isn't like, that that will be used against me, even though I think that's in there somewhere. I know what the feeling, what it feels like, but I don't know how to put it in words. And what's crazy is if you asked, if you surveyed like a hundred people that I've encountered, they'd be like, she's the most willing to help person I've ever met. Like I, I am like me, I'm like five and number five in line. I'm like, what can I do for you? What can I do? Do you need help? Are you okay? And so it's weird that like, I don't know what that is, actually. I guess I need to work on that. Some of the most helping people can be resistant to receiving yeah. help. And certainly at, at, over just your course of just developing as a human being, I, I certainly have, have been on that. And it's not really a roller coaster. It's just it's a cycle yeah. where, and, and now it, it's like, same thing. Like, how can I help? And most of the successful entrepreneurs that I know build a community and, and a community of other entrepreneurs. Yeah. Because, I mean, you can share your story on Instagram and you can read other people's, uh, but there's weird stuff that happens when you're creating a company yeah. that other people who aren't also <laughs> doing it, just like, you're not going to talk about it over no. the dinner table because it doesn't <laughs> yeah. make sense. It, it's, it's not that it's not the universe of normal no. people, right? And, and so you found that community and that community helped you. Did it help your mental health in addition to your business success? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I also was someone that for a long, for probably most of the stretch of Bandeau did not think I needed any mental health help. I was on medication for the first part of that. Then I went off my meds for like four or five years and I didn't think I needed help with that. So I, I think it made me feel good and feel supported and feel happy, which I think contributes to that, um, to like positive mental health. But I wasn't really talking. I wasn't really talking to people about like my actual issues. That's really come later. That's really only been in the last like three or four years. Like I, I was definitely talking to like my doctor and my therapist and my parents and my husband, but I wasn't like introducing it into into business stuff, not because I was afraid of that, but I just, we were busy talking about like, how do you, how do you make more money? How do you get more followers? How, you know, where are your products being made? You know, we were just so in the, in the trenches on, on the logistical stuff that it just didn't come up that much. You talk about your one to 10 daily rating system. What is it and where did you get, how do you use it? Yeah. 
This is something that my mom came up with a long time ago. It's a, it's an emotional rating system. And I can't remember how old I was when she would start to use it, but she would say to me, you know, because with parents, and I don't know if this was your relationship, but definitely I think with with women, because we're asked so much more about our emotions, you know, my mom would want to know, how are you feeling? She was obviously very worried about me because I was struggling throughout my 20s um, with my mental health. I would be like, mom, I don't want to talk about it. Like, you know, it was like I was a, a essentially like a t- hormonal teenager until I was 31. As opposed to all the other teenagers. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she wisely created the shorthand that was like, just give me a number, you know, like, where are you from one to 10? Um, and so that that could like satisfy her need to just know I was okay. And then as I got further into mental health and understood my own and especially having bipolar and understanding the difference between that and depression, I kind of adjusted the rating system so that it's not one is bad, 10 is great. It's like one is still bad. That's awful. But there's like five is more of a middle place. And I always say 7.8 is like where I want to be because I'm not, I'm not manic but I'm ha- I'm content and happy. And so so I've got it down to decimal points. So it's like I'll talk about it on my on Instagram and stuff and I feel like a lot of people have implemented it just as a way to check in, even just to ask yourself how you're doing because it's like kind of good to start the day and be like where am I today? Especially if you have something that you might wake up at a 2, you went to bed at an 8 and you woke up at a 2 and you need to know that before you like go into work. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I, I wanted to interview you. Um, and no one taught me that, but I was running this experiment on Taoist principles. Mm. Uh, in fact, I was testing whether their equation for frequency of male ejaculation was accurate. Oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, this was on like Huffington Post and all this stuff. It was a few years ago. I gave this big talk. I'm like, here's my frequency of, of that sort of thing <laughs> on a daily crazy. basis for a year. Uh, oh my God. So, you know, plotted against uh, my daily score from one to 10 on happiness. Ah. And it was like, okay, for me, how satisfied am I with the sum of, you know, my, you know, how am I feeling? Uh, how are my relationships? How happy am I with my relationships at home, uh, with my career, with my community, just sort of all of it in one number. It's not provable because this is a measure of how you're feeling right. and no one can really <laughs> prove how you're feeling. Like we yeah. can get some brain waves yeah. and you know, heart rate and whatever, yeah. but it's like, no, like, like, what's my perception of that? Because that's actually what matters. Yeah. Like, you can be like, you know, I'm not doing that well, but I'm feeling really good about it right now. And your number's going to be up because yeah. you're feeling good about it, yeah. even if you're like, have a cold or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and I find that to be a really powerful practice. And here it is. I never posted on Instagram until I had a year worth of data. Uh, by the way, there is uh, an ejacula- <laughs> ejaculation hangover. So like, like after you ejaculate for the next couple of days as a male, um, you're, you're likely to like, <laughs> like, like your life less. Uh, which is totally funny, uh, but you might oh sleep better. Okay. <laughs> Who would have thought, right? So talk about laying it all out there. I love but, it. But your daily, your daily number. What kind of response do you get from that? Because like that's really like burying a lot. Like yeah. you know, today's a crappy day for me. Yeah. Like what do people say when when you post a number that's either high or low? They feel they feel either happy for me or sad for me, depending on the number. They a lot of times will reply with what their number is. You know, I think, again, it's just like they feel connected to me. So they have all of the right the responses that a friend, you know, or my mom or whomever I would be sharing that with on a personal level. It's the same. You know, some people don't understand this the rating system. So when I say I'm at a 9.1, they're like, yay. I'm like, no, this is dangerous. (laughs) Like it's too high. So, but mostly it's great. Yeah. Isn't that kind of limiting though? I mean, why wouldn't you want to be at a 10 out of 10 every day? Just because you're afraid of falling? No, because it, because for me, I don't want to be manic, even though it feels great. Like I, I'm bipolar spectrum. So I'm mostly worried about depression, but mania, the pendulum swings on that. So to get that high usually means that there's going to be a fallout. And I don't want that, even though it's very enjoyable when it's happening, it's great things don't usually come of it. So (laughs) to me, the 7.8 is the 10. Like that's the ultimate. I hear you because it's sustainable and the 10 isn't sustainable. Yeah. And the 10 is dangerous and the 7.8 is awesome. 
when I when I'm working on a on a new book, I go into this weird kind of flow state mode where, uh, like, I I'll stay up till five in the morning and I use red circadian compliant lighting. I'm not uh, damaging okay. my biology and and I'm I'm wired in as uh, it's called a wolf, but I'm one of the fifteen percent of the population whose circadian biology says stay up late. My job in a cave would have been I'm the night shift. Oh, I'm the guard while everyone else sleeps. I'm the opposite. <laughs> so you're like, a, so that's called a lion. Okay. So you're like the morning shift. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I'll wake up early and make sure that no lions eat us in the morning yeah. while everyone else brushes their teeth or whatever cavemen do. Yeah. So like we have these, these things that are just deep in our biology, but I talked with one of the leaders of some field of psychology. And I, I don't remember exactly what it was, or I'd tell you in one of these 500 interviews. And he's like, Dave, uh, it sounds like you go into mania. <laughs> when you're writing a book. And I'm like, I never thought of that. Yeah. But I, I do go into this really altered state, but there isn't a crash other than, okay, when I'm I'm done with that final edit window. And by the way, I just finished uh, the manuscript for my last book like about 10 days ago oh uh, as we're recording this. Um, or so my last book for my next book, whatever it is. Uh, and so I, I kind of went through that. But for me, it's really enjoyable and I don't, I don't have a crash, but there is a little bit of just recovery that comes. Yeah, for sure. And, and if I was plotting my daily number, which maybe I'll have to do that again, it probably comes down because I'm, like, I'm not working on this really fun project, but then I always know as an entrepreneur, I have like five other projects, sure. which one am I going to do? And do I get enough recovery in there? Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Do, do you, when you're looking at your 7.8, like, okay, I'm doing really well. Like I created this new product or this new thing or this new brand identity, I, the, the sort of things that you do as a chief creator officer. Do you then like have a like recovery period and go do extra self-care and then jump into another project like all in? Or are you kind of consistent? Yeah, I'm consistent. It's because it doesn't, the way it works for us and the way my workflow is, it's, it's, there are these big things, but then there is this like long-term sustained thing that I need to think about too. So there's actually no downtime. Like there's, there's no downtime unless I create it. So there's not like a place to earmark it. Like that's done. Let me take a break. So, so I'm kind of doing both at the same time. So I'm always like hyper aware of, am I taking care of myself? Also, we're still a, a like new enough business that like the big opportunity can come from an external source. Like it, we know what our plans are, but then like, I mean, we, we've done a, we did a big collaboration with Starbucks. It's like, we didn't have that on the calendar and I couldn't be like, Oh, I'm in a down period right now. I can't really work on that. It was like <laughs> when Starbucks comes knocking, you're like, all right, let's go. So, so I think I'm like more just like constantly, again, just constantly checking in and like taking the time. And that's probably also why I am so precious with like my physical and emotional state because I don't necessarily have time for the recovery, even though that's a horrible thing to say because you make time for it. Like, <laughs> as I say it, <laughs> that whole self-care yeah, thing we talked about earlier. I just flush it down the toilet. <laughs> if I need it, I will make time for it. But ultimately, I'd like to just be like grinding every day and like deriving enjoyment from that and then resting. I do a lot of my resting at night. You know, I, I am, I go to bed early and I like, unwind or like some like this weekend, you know, Friday, I felt like I wasn't feeling good. There's like some evil co cold flu that's been going around our office for a couple months. And I have a bunch of travel coming up. And I was just like, I'm literally just gonna lay here and take care of myself, you know, just do everything good for myself this weekend and not, you know, and I had other things I needed to do. So I understand the concept. I'm not always good at it. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's why so many people follow you as well as your company, just because you're willing to say stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. What advice would you have for someone who's listening um, who maybe doesn't know that they're dealing with some of these mental health things you've dealt with? Mm. Like, like how – it sounds like you you knew it as a younger child that you were dealing with something. Yeah. But there's so many adults who, who have stuff going on that they just are unaware of. Yeah. What, what advice do you have for them? I will say, you know, when I was younger and that was happening, I had no idea what was happening. I just knew that like the, because again, it's like, it feels, nor this is all, you know, like whatever is happening inside of you is all, you know. So like for me, it wasn't until I started talking about it to a therapist that they could take notes and go, this is, this is something you would want to address. These are not nor versus these are normal thoughts and feelings. And so, um, 
the thing that has helped me the most outside of finding someone to talk to, which is not easy for everyone. Like I said, for me, I come with that. It, it imprinted on me. I just want to tell you everything. Um, <laughs> so that's not for everyone, but I think like really introspecting, which I'm, which I'm also equally as good at and like working on your emotional intelligence. So many of the answers just lie within ourselves and within our own brains and like that intuition and that hunch. I mean, there's been hunches that I've sat on for 10 years that I'm like, I knew I was right. Why didn't I just, you know, just about like myself or why I had a pain in my knee or, you know, whatever it is. And so I think it's like really taking the time to to figure out how you're going to actually get to know yourself and get in touch with what you're feeling and then learn about that, you know? So I've done a ton of reading. Like I didn't in, get this way. It took, uh, I mean, I've done a lot of work to get to the place that I am, but that's where I started. And that's what helped like talking to someone and then really spending some time in my own mind, trying to understand what's going on. The way I came across you is you actually mentioned Bulletproof on Instagram. I was like, oh, wow, that, that's so cool. Um, <laughs> what what have you found in terms of, of what food does for your mental, your mental state, your mental uh, just wellness? It's so insane. You know, I've always been the therapist that I went to for many years was very into mind body connection, how food affects mental health, gut brain stuff. And and so I've always been aware of it. But I also um, am equally as passionate of using food as a drug. So like it's, it's been a complex relationship, because when I'm feeling bad, like the things I want are the things that actually make it worse for you. And so for me, I have to hit rock bottom before I change. And I and I've gone through phases in my life where I take care of myself and I avoid the things that I know are going to be bad. But I was feeling really desperate um, after Thanksgiving, and I had just reapproached my doctor to go back on medication for my bipolar, which I had been reluctant to do. And he wanted to be very cautious about how I went back on. So the so the dosing was going to be very minimal for a while. And I started to get really nervous about how long it was going to take. And I also had been taking Adderall because my ADD was so crazy. And I just felt like it was becoming a work issue because like the demands of the job just keep growing. And I'm responsible for a lot and I need my brain to work and I, and I'm smart. <laughs> so it's frustrating when I can't get it to work. And so all of that sort of came together and I had tried Bulletproof a couple of times. My therapist actually mentioned it to me years ago and I was like, I'm not putting butter in coffee. Like I was, she was very early <laughs> on, on a, on a lot of things. And I was just like, I'm not going to do that. That sounds crazy. And then I was actually in Hawaii this time last year and there's a little shack on the North shore that sunrise shack that sells bulletproof. And the owner is a male model, a very handsome male model. Uh, I did. You kept going back. The <laughs> yeah, no, I only <laughs> found out I was just in Hawaii and I only found out who the owner is. I was like, Oh my God. But, um, I was like, Oh my God, this actually works. Like my brain was like, it was like very similar to Adderall, but without the come down. And so what I hadn't read was anything about how it actually works. So I was like eating uh, like chocolate croissants along with it. So um, that that wasn't great. It, it, it still it, <laughs> it still works then, but it's not ideal. It still <laughs> totally worked. Yeah, you know, I was doing it every day and people were like, oh, my God, your brain. But the, literally within two weeks, I gained like six pounds. I was like, no. And then so, uh, my one of my friends was like, you're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. And so then I started, I just went on this deep dive one Saturday and was, I was reading a bunch of articles on the site and reading about all the foods. And I just was like, I'm just going to go all in and see, cause I just wanted to feel good immediately. I was like, I don't have two months. I need it today. And I felt great. I mean, I have, I still feel great. You know, it's amazing. So um, that's the reason I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> it's not one-sided. There's a huge body of evidence that says food affects our mental sure. health. And it it drives me nuts that in the mental health profession, there are so few therapists like the one yeah. you worked with. It was like, and it's not that your therapist uh, said, you know, try no. bulletproof or whatever. It, it's that 
so many therapists like try the drugs instead of you're eating French fries and MSG yeah. every yeah. day <laughs> and drinking two glasses of allegedly healthy wine. And, and it's like, that's not how it works. Yeah. And if you're not addressing that, and, and so it, it, that just irritates me because I had the, the same problem. I didn't know that I had like Asperger's tendencies and uh, the whole ADD thing as a young person at all. But I figured out I'm really fat and my joints hurt <laughs> oh, all the time and I have cognitive dysfunction and my brain's not working and like I'm I'm scared yeah. and I bought disability insurance mm -hmm. and that was actually uh, what led me to become a biohacker. But why didn't the doctors say yeah. that? Like why don't mental health professionals focus on that first? And I think there's a shift happening in in that world where you see more and more doctors saying, address mitochondrial <laughs> function, stop eating foods that are associated with a crash and depression because you already have a weakness yeah. there. Like don't accentuate the weakness. So, but in your overall path, it sounds like that was relatively recent that you really looked at how food was affecting your mental state or is that kind of a dawning evolution? Yeah, I think it's something that I've known for, for quite some time for at least 10 or 15 years, but I wasn't, I wasn't willing to really commit to it because I liked the food like the feeling that I got from the food was I I chose that. <laughs> if if someone had taught you this when you were a teenager, how oh would you Oh my life god, have been I feel like although I don't like to indulge in that kind of thinking because I'm happy where I am, I can only imagine <laughs> Like, I just feel like when my brain, people get really scared when my brain is firing on all cylinders. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> oh no, they like run for cover. So like, I imagine <laughs> if I, you know, had 46 years of that, I, I maybe would be doing something slightly more impactful than creating really cute notebooks and <laughs> having an entertaining uh, Instagram profile. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to, I still feel like I'm very far ahead of the curve of like, the human race as far as what, you know, what they're doing. So you're doing noteworthy stuff, which is why, yeah. you know, I wanted you to tell your story on the show. And I, the reason I started the Bulletproof blog, like, like a lot of people don't know this. I was a VP at a big company. I was making a quarter million dollars yeah. a year. I had stock options and I had yeah. two young kids. So, oh, and my job was to fly around the world uh, to like five-star hotels and give a keynote address to a, a bunch of mostly like mostly dudes in sport coats talking about like computer security. Like it was, it was not right. a bad gig, but it wasn't exactly like, oh my gosh, I'm making yeah. a difference. Like, you know, wow, I'm changing the world. But in the early days of the internet, like building cloud, building infrastructure, that actually was world changing. But at a certain point, I'm like, do I really care about antivirus software? Actually, I don't. Right. <laughs> but I, I started the blog knowing that I kind of had the ability to take care of my family and, and a successful career that wasn't going away. Uh, and I'm like, if someone had told me the stuff that I've learned over the past 15 yeah. years and spent all this money and time and, and just thousands of hours of energy, if they had just <laughs> told me, my life would have been so much easier. So I wrote the blog for myself when I was 20 and I figured like five people right. could read this. That's like I had crazy. no idea it would do what it was going to wow. do. Uh, uh, and it's just like, like all these lessons learned. And what I spend a lot of time now doing, Jen, is like, I want to learn yeah. from you and like, what, what are your yeah. tweaks? And some of my, my like dear friends are in their seventies. So I'm like, they know yes, so much more than yes. I do. And like, I interview some of these people who in fact Stan Grop, I think is the oldest guy I've interviewed. He's like 90 or 94 oh or gosh. something and a founder of transpersonal psychology. But like anytime I can learn from someone who's done it for 20 plus years more than me, I'm like, I'm so going to do it. Or someone who's walked a different path than me, like you have, you know, you're more of a yeah. creative than I am. So I'm like, I want to yeah. learn. And amazingly, Hundreds of thousands of people want to yeah. hear our conversation, which is why there's a radio show, right? So, so thank you for you know taking your time to to educate of me and, and share your story. And I have one more question for you. Okay. And you're probably able to predict it if you've listened to both radio before. But if someone came to you tomorrow and said, "I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being," like like I want to be a better human being, uh, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? Like, what would you offer them? I'm an optimist. I am like an annoying optimist. So I feel outside of that small percentage of psychopaths that you mentioned earlier, <laughs> I feel like the answer to that lies within each person. I don't think it's the same for everybody, but I, I, for me, it, it really goes back to a lot of what we were talking about earlier 
doing doing some like self excavation and and finding that and like getting in touch with that voice in your head is certainly one big step. The other thing is like practice that, like actually put that in motion and see what it feels like because at least in my experience being good feels a lot better than being bad. And so there's like some positive reinforcement there when you actually see what it feels like to affect positive change. That's two. <laughs> uh, the third one is eat that mint chocolate chip bar because oh, that on. thing is crazy. <laughs> no, but when you were just talking about it earlier, I didn't know if you could see me, but I was like nodding my head so hard because I'm like, how many could I really have in one day? Like, <laughs> no, but you know, obviously like taking care of yourself. I just like, I like that. I'm sorry. I know that you don't want me to say this, but I just like it because it does satisfy the emotional need as well. And I'm just like, there's no way, there's no way that this could have like positive health benefits at all. This is too good. But, um, <laughs> I'm so, not putting that in my official notes uh, on this call, that's, <laughs> but that's thank fine. you. That's fine. But it really is. It, it, and and I don't say stuff like that without meaning it, but putting good in, putting good in, in whatever that means often means getting good out. So whether, whether that's, you know, you got to think about what that really means. And I, and that has helped me a lot. I'm a much better person when I'm putting in good, whether that means like listening to something positive eating something that I know is good for me, getting sun in my eyes, you know, whatever that, whatever that does. I think it's like just building a stronger you. That's an interesting uh, answer the, the third one. And <laughs> I'm actually like keeping track of how often I hear these different answers because you said something at the beginning that I just love. You're like, look, it's different for different people. Yeah. And it, it's a problem. You're like, well, here's what a successful person does. Like, I'm going to just take this tool and I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. run with it. And you're like, you know, it totally doesn't work. And it doesn't mean it's bad advice. It means it doesn't work for you. Yeah. Uh, but and when you talk to 500 people and you're like, well, you know, 80% of them said this mattered. You're like, it might matter and your implementation might be different, but at least this is what matters. Yeah. And your last one there is like, put good stuff in. And you didn't say eat good food, which is a real yeah. common answer. Yeah. yeah. You actually said, put good stuff in, whether it's you know, good advice, positive yeah. things in order to get like, that's actually not an answer I've heard before. And it's a really nuanced, yes. interesting answer. So thank you, Jen. I, I actually really appreciate that. Of it's course. it's so simple the way you put it, but uh, it encompasses a lot of, a lot of good practices. So, so thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and there you go. Now I've got my good in for the day. Cause I just got a new piece of <laughs> advice and you, know, you don't hear that many new answers after 500 of these, but uh, I think it's really affirming for people listening to just realize, all right, you know, here's a successful entrepreneur who's, you know, struggled with some things and overcome some things and it's still working on it, which is yeah. the, the human condition for all of us. Um, but you know, you're, you're just laying it out there. So, Hey, um, you, you taught me a good way to talk about that. So oh, good. No problem. Where can people find out more about both you and your company? I would say the internet's a great place to start. So bando.com, B-A-N-D-O.com is a great place to find Bando. We're shop Bando on Instagram and Outside of me giving out my home address, which I've been known to do, I would say okay. <laughs> uh, Jen Gotch on Instagram is probably the easiest way to get to know me. Beautiful. Jen, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. Well, today it would be put more good in uh, so you can get more good out. That's our new piece of advice today. <laughs> The other thing you could do that would be awesome is if you would leave a review for Bulletproof Radio that says that this kind of an interview is worth your time and maybe worth other people's time, go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes, and that'll take you conveniently to the right page on Apple, and you can just leave a review. We're past 2,500 for five-star reviews, and I actually look at the comments, I look at the reviews, and I track that to know whether I'm doing a good job for you. So if you take a second to just give me the feedback, I would be so profoundly grateful and happy about it. And if you don't like this kind of an interview where I'm talking with someone who's led a different path and you just want to hear from you know people who create new nutritional philosophies, let me know too. But I'm really getting a lot out of this kind of an interview, and I'm hoping you are too. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.